0: i mm-hmm. was <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> checking.
1: Sorry. I'm not was right for
0: the Say How the is. Chinese version
2: one more time now. No, forget it. It's, it's, it's forget it. You, you, forget it. It's it's it.
3: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am actually in the same hotel room as Erica Kay, and Nick Page, and Brian McGuckin. What's up, guys?
2: Hey. Ni hao,
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Ni hao. <laughs> It is
0: so weird to be in the same room Like with you guys as we record I'm so used to the like You know those little, little Skype, Skype windows and stuff Yeah I will
3: say Nick looks a lot better On the computer <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So first thing we should say is We got to apologize a little bit for the audio quality We've done everything we can But we're not on our normal mics We're in Asia Give us a little bit of a break uh, But we want to tell you some of the things That we learned here um, on the podcast We're going to try to avoid uh, making this too too much of a travel log, but we do want to share uh, the tips uh, that we've learned, some of the gear that we liked and didn't like, and uh, and help you to kind of learn from the experience. So uh, a year ago, uh, I came to to China, and it was awesome. I brought a group out, and before I even left, I booked a return trip. And so we sold it on Improved Photography, and what do we have, 15, 16 people came mm-hmm. on, the, on the trip with us this year. And so we've been looking forward to it for a whole year, and it finally came. And so uh, we've been going around through Guilin for the last week. So we start kind of in the big city, and then we got out in the boonies of China. I mean, way out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, and so we kind of want to go through all the things we did and, and share mm-hmm. tips with you as we go.
0: So before we flew out, I was I spent like a week shooting with Brian, or a few days shooting with Brian. And when he showed me the luggage that he brought, I was like, wait, you're taking that because he literally had like three shirts, a couple pairs of pants. Like he had this tiny little carry-on bag. And here I am packing this giant piece of luggage. And so I thought he was crazy when we came. And now that I've had to pack all of my crap around, I realized that he was very wise. And, you know, he's a very wise guy over here. And so I'm really inspired by like how light both Eric and Brian packed. Well, Jim, you packed pretty light, too, because they (laughs) they, they lost his luggage, which makes for a very light packed trip. But so when we when we went through the airport, I've never had this happen before. But they weighed my carry-on and I was overweight on my carry-on because they actually added my, uh, my, my camera bag with my little personal bag. And I was like three pounds over, so I had to do the whole like panic and take stuff out of my camera bag and shove it into my checked luggage thing. And then Brian, you had to do something completely different.
2: Normally uh, when I travel, I tend to already have my tickets printed and I can just walk right through and have my carry-on with me, my two bags, and that's all I need to do. Uh, this time we, when we got to the airport in Seattle, we had to get our tickets. And then for some reason, she pointed and told me I needed to weigh my bags, which I've never had that before. So I put my bags down and she said they weigh too much. And I figured it didn't matter because I'm, I'm the one carrying it and I've never had this before. And so she told me I had to take some of the weight off and then I had to check one of the bags. And so I had to split some of the things up and end up checking one of the bags that I wasn't planning on doing.
3: Right. But well, that's only hazing. They only do that to hazing. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it makes no sense. I, I've flown so many times, like you, Brian, and only one time ever have they weighed the bag. And when they take it and they're like putting it on a scale, it's like, this
1: is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I actually uh, had to do that when I went to New Zealand um, in January, and that was the only time I've ever had to do that. This time, I just seriously walked through security did not have to show my passport did not have to even open my bags or take my shoes off or do anything i walked through security and it took me about 30 seconds to get to the gate it was wonderful
0: and so jim barely even made it here not smart yeah (laughs) yeah it was
3: terrible so i was flying from from boise idaho to here i live in boise And I had a layover in Canada. Uh, I don't like Canada very much after this. So I flew into Canada and the ladies, the the stewardess tells us, you've got to go through customs. And I said, no, I'm I'm just connecting. Uh, And she handed me the form. She's like, you still got to go through customs. And I said, no, I'm just connecting. I got to get on. And she said, no, got to go through international security, everything. I get out of international security and there's the exit door like there's no other place to go I'm already out and so I tried to go back through all the lines by the time I went through all the lines I like my flight is gone and I'm arguing with the people while my flight is leaving and then I said, well, great. You're going to have to rebook me. And they're like, no, you're going to have to buy another ticket. And I was like, this is not my fault. Anyway, anyway everybody loves hearing about... about- <laughs> um, anyway, we, we got here. But the main mistake that I did make is in my checked bag, I put two of my Fuji batteries for my camera. And so camera batteries are lithium ion. And I knew you weren't supposed to put them in, but I always put them in because uh, I like to have some in my ch- in my carry-on and some in the checked bag, just so you can kind of split things up. Uh, anyway, because my flight was delayed, they wouldn't send on my checked bag, and so I went a few days on the trip without the checked bag, mm-hmm. and they just said, no, we aren't going to send it. And so I had to like sign this form saying they can throw my batteries away. It was a mess. So lesson learned, no lithium-ion batteries, mm-hmm. no camera batteries in the checked bag. You can use double A's, but not, the, not your lithium ions. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, so Brian and I got here a day earlier than everybody and we kind of walked around and kind of culture shock for small town Nick. It's not exactly southeastern Washington here. It's a little different. You have uh, all these people riding around on scooters and you'll you'll see an entire family of four riding on this or little five or six. yeah that's on this, not an exaggeration it's nuts exactly on this little electric scooter and not only are they riding on these little scooters but they're like weaving in and out of cars driving right in front me, of cars me, me. it's it's amazing <laughs> like it's it's some of the most suicidal driving I've ever seen in my life and it just the way people get around here is so like just crazy looking. It's really hard to watch. And I'm so glad that I didn't drive here. If I ever come here on my own, I am not going to rent a car. I don't, I'm not sure if they would even rent me a car because I'm definitely not qualified to drive here. It is stressful to even watch.
1: If you are looking for an adventure, I suggest you hop in the back of a tuk-tuk in Beijing. (laughs) A tuk-tuk is one of those little, like, it's like a motorcycle with a like a tricycle kind of. So the driver sits in front and then there are two seats in the back. We hopped in the back of one and went through Beijing and rush hour and everything Nick described, I was living at that point. So we were going in and out out of cars and cutting through the middle of intersections with traffic coming from every direction. It was Awesome, but also really terrifying.
2: <laughs> What's amazing though is they make it work. Like there are they no accidents. You stand at a corner and you're like, "This just isn't going to happen," and it does. Yep. They weave through, and it's kind of a first come, first go type thing where you, yep. the first person there, no matter how big or small you are, you just go. Whoever has the bigger tuk tuk
3: has the right way. All right. So the first night I wasn't here, but you guys went to two different locations. We went to Dashu, which is like an old. Mm-hmm. Ancient town um, that it's it's uh, just kind of an, a bunch of old houses there. And and our, when he
0: says old, we're talking like fifteen hundred yeah, years amazing. old, so like cool. real old.
3: Yeah. So our guides know some people that that live there. And so uh, so we got to go into their homes, like just into a normal Chinese person's home that lives there and just see what it's like. And now I say normal Chinese person. It's a very China is a very modern country, of course, yes. but that we were intentionally going to places that weren't modern and yeah. documenting the lives of the people who live in these not moder- modern areas of China. Yeah.
0: Because I mean that's that's a part of the world that is slowly disappearing. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of the the interesting part of it is that this is an entire culture that might not be here in 50 years. You know, mm-hmm. As these older people die off, uh, we're documenting something that might be gone forever. And that's kind of, I think, the exciting part to me is that I'm documenting something that isn't always going to be there. Yeah. So
2: when we got there, we broke into three different groups. Erica and Nick and I each led a small group, and there were three different locations of different homes that we had. Um, one was with an older gentleman. The other two kind of went, other two groups, one went up like the upper street and one went to the lower street. And it was a chance to do some street photography, which a lot of the people in the group have not done before. Some people loved it, some prefer not to do it typically, but I think overall it was a good success. I know uh, for myself personally, I've never, I don't really do a lot of that. And so it was a fun challenge to kind of be creative and play with a lot of amazing natural light Mm -hmm. in this area extremely dark areas with like cracks where lights just beaming in beautifully Uh, and i got some of my favorite shots from that and i typically don't shoot that way yeah me too and there was uh somebody in our small group who tends to usually just prefer landscape photography but he was down in there and he was really enjoying it and it was good for him to kind of practice something other than what he mm-hmm. prefers because he just was learning more about light and more about his camera and what it's capable of.
0: Yeah, I've always said that I don't really understand street photography. And then I came here and before I even got off of the uh, out of our little van, I knew like, oh, I get it. This is so cool. I mm-hmm. want to take pictures of all these interesting people because... It's just so different from what you see in everyday life. You want to capture it and try to capture it in some kind of interesting way. I
3: said the exact same thing last year. Mm -hmm. I kind of even make fun of street photography because when I see it, like on Instagram, you know, you see the street photographer and it's just like, they just always put the same black and white effect on it. (laughs) And it's just like... Mm-hmm. Uh it's just like the same thing. And so I just have a hard time enjoying it for me personally. And it was the same thing. When I got here last year, it kind of clicked for me. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I just needed, I needed maybe the photos that I happened to be seeing weren't a good introduction to street yeah. photography. It's really fun.
1: Yeah, I definitely fell in love with street photography right. here.
0: So one of the regrets that I have about this trip and what I did and didn't bring is that... One of the packing suggestions was to bring some flash gear. And I was like, I don't want to go into like the, you know, rural China and these all old ancient homes and then start busting out my flash. I just thought, oh, that seems a little bit. I don't want to do that. And then I got here and I was like, oh, I wish I would have brought my flash. (laughs) Because there was so many awesome portrait opportunities. We got to go and photograph the cormorant fishermen, not only out on the river getting the big epic shot, but we got to go to their homes and just like hang out with them. And there was so many excellent portrait opportunities there that really was... The flash didn't make it seem cheesy. It made it just better. And I really wish I would have brought flash gear because yeah i just didn't and so i ended up borrowing flash gear and yeah
2: i think it's important that people understand first that we weren't just going up to people randomly with the flash and just taking pictures of them when you're in another country you've got to be careful of that and you need to respect their culture Mm -hmm. we were very fortunate to have an amazing uh group that led us through basically our whole trip
3: yeah, yeah, and that's com. If you're coming to photograph Cormorant fishermen, like, literally you would... I mean, you'd have to be insane not to book with them. Uh, yeah. They were amazing guides and pretty reasonably priced.
0: Yeah, it makes a huge difference to have people that not only can speak the language, but have met some of these people before, and they... They were setting up like all of our um, tuk-tuk rides and all of our boat rides and all of this stuff that there's no way we could have got set up. Like we would have wasted no. more of our time trying to set it up and trying to communicate what we're trying to do. <laughs> and they just had it all set up. It was so seamless and yeah, they, it was amazing. We've kind of talked a little bit about how they're like the inspiration for how guide services and like tours should be because mm, they were amazing. so they on were top really of it. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: and just kind of going back to the communication piece. That Nick mentioned there are not very many people here in China that speak English. So communication Mm -hmm. is really, really difficult if you don't have somebody there translating for you. So if you are planning a trip to China, even in Beijing, I found it was really hard to communicate with people. Make sure you have either a knowledge of the language, which most people probably Mm -hmm. don't, or um, have somebody with you who can translate for you because it's really difficult here to get anything done, even a simple transaction. Um, because the language barrier is, is so vast.
3: Yeah, uh, that was uh, expressed to me in living color, because after my bag wasn't here, I was desperately in need of deodorant, right? Like, you can't just not have that. Um, and so I went to the drugstore around the corner, and I tried to, like, act out deodorant. I felt dumb, asking the lady, and she, like, aver- she like averted her eyes. She was, like, a little bit shamed that I was even doing that. But she made it clear that they didn't have that in the drugstore. I thought, what do you mean you don't have have it and so i i opened up on google images came back to the hotel and i showed the concierge desk a picture of deodorant on google images and i was like i want that (laughs) and the guy stared at me like what is that (laughs) so um, i scrolled down to a few other images and finally he saw one he says oh i know what that was it was a little bit different of a shape anyway so i go out to the taxi driver Uh, Because he told me to take him to the to the order that I should go to like a grocery store to a big one, and some of them might have it. Because the younger people in China start using deodorant, older the older generation, it's just not a thing they do. Um, And so. Anyway, went out to the taxi. He didn't understand me. He wanted to take me to a prostitute because I was like a single <laughs> guy. In China. Now, how, what you're wondering right now is, how does Jim know he wanted him to take him to, take him to a prostitute because they don't speak the same language? Well, he acted it out pretty clearly. Oh, my yeah, God. <laughs> <No>. And I... <laughs> I was like, no, dude, deodorant. <laughs> I want. So I said, I told the taxi driver, come in with me. So we go to the concierge desk. They speak a little bit of English, and um, and I I told the guy <laughs> the the concierge desk had Google Translate on their phone or or whatever app he was using. And so I I typed in deodorant and hit translate and he went, he looked at it and he gave me a funny look. I wasn't sure. And so he typed something back in Chinese and then I read it to see if it was, if that's what I was looking for. And the word that pops up in English is hydrokinesis. (laughs) We are really on the wrong track here. I just need some deodorant. Anyway, it was crazy. Uh, So, uh, (laughs) yes, having some knowledge of the language would have been good. I wish I would have known more. All right, so we shoot Dashu, the ancient town. Then we we went to this kind of overlook over the whole city. I always have a hard time with overlooks. Mm. Like, getting that composition right, it's just so... Big, Big. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. we had... What, like four good chances at awesome overlook shots and I mm-hmm. feel like I only got one of them this trip so what did you guys feel made or, or broke your your overlook shots like the big vista you so know?
0: that first one that we went to the, the interesting thing to me was is that you have like skyscrapers mingling with mountains mm-hmm. and it's just a very unique blend of, of the two like the way the, the city is just kind of pressed up against these amazing mountains that Guilin is known for and so what I was trying to do is like find interesting spots to kind of squish those uh, big buildings against those mountains. And I was using telephoto lenses most of the time. Also, kind of looking the other direction, there's just mass amounts of like housing and and uh, residential area stuff so i was using a lot of telephoto shots to just like fill the frame with nothing but like humanity mm-hmm. and like all of these buildings and stuff and it, what was cool is that there was like a couple people standing on the rooftops and stuff and it just makes for a very interesting like abstract shot of just like tons of houses and then a couple people up there so my favorite shots from that first one were uh, you know silhouetting against that dark sky just having the tops of skyscrapers and mountains and that's not something I'm used to seeing we don't have those where I come from
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I think Jim made a good point about kind of struggling with that because it's so large and mm-hmm. wide I definitely struggled with that I didn't really come away with any images that I was happy with out of that because it was so wide it was just so big and everything was so far away Yeah, there was this like pond or river I don't know what it was like in the foreground and then like nick said there was the city and then the mountains were even further away so to get all of that looking good together with a wide angle lens anyway just did not work for me at all
0: also that was the hottest sweatiest hike i've ever had in my (laughs) entire life so let's let's have some real talk here about being in shape (laughs) because this this week has been just a a uh, a huge wake-up call for Nick that maybe I'm not in the best of shape because... You too. So it's like been, what, 80 degrees, 85 degrees, and 100% humidity.
1: Feels like 125
0: degrees. And I am not used to that for starters, but we we've been going up these uh, these hikes that are just nothing but stairs and by the time i got to the top of each one i was just a sweaty mess and i've thrown away like 3 or 4 shirts on this trip because they were so sweaty and stinky that they just couldn't be saved they're like we had we were literally putting my clothes out outside so we didn't have to smell them in our room is that bad i know this is a tangent but um, I think Nick is going to lose weight after this trip. I've already started because I probably sweat out like gallons of, of sweat on this trip. Where was I going? That's one, well, that's uh, one, of, that's
2: one of the great things about travel photography in other countries is you don't necessarily have your car there to get yourself around. So you're walking so much yeah. and you tend to be a little sensitive about the food yeah. not knowing what to eat and all. And all the sweating you do do. I know that just in this time I've lost at least seven pounds. That's crazy. And that's
0: Brian McGuckin. This guy is like yeah, running. Probably a lot of water weight
2: though, but yeah. still. So it's, yeah, your shirts were nasty. And
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: not just your shirts, but I think. Not just sh- the shirts, <laughs> guys, but the <they're> shorts. The <laughs> <Your laughs> shoes. <laughs> the shoes are getting thrown away before The shoes should be thrown away. They, uh, the, man, humidity just sucks. <laughs> I am not a fan of humidity.
2: Well, and then it rains at the beginning of your hike. Yeah. Or at some time during your hike. So you're standing up there, usually waiting for an hour or two before the sun is rising yep. or setting and you're drenched from sweat you're drenched from the rain, rain and like walking through puddles and right. yeah it's nasty so
3: <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> we, we've done a, a ton of trips between all of us of, of with with readers of improved photography a lot of trips and i can't tell you how many people in the trips like the one thing that kept their pictures back during the trip was they just didn't have the fitness level to get to the, some of the places that were awesome, yeah. uh, or they were just a little bit too tired and didn't make it out to locations mm-hmm. like. It really is if you're a landscape or especially a travel photographer, uh, being it's, able to to get to those places is big, and I think a lot of people who, uh, you know, are just normal, you know, normal shape, you know, uh, realize that oh, it, it it's. <clears throat> pretty exhausting and you really have to be be ready for it
0: yeah if you're not in shape and you do some of the hikes that we did when you get to the top you're not thinking clearly for a good 15 minutes (laughs) i know i got to the top and people are asking me questions i'm like i I don't know man just give me a minute minute. like i've already caught my breath but i'm still like all wobbly and yes
2: for the record though you made it to you did every single thing with the exception of one you chose something else yeah
0: and that that one was just for crazy people
2: Well, and that was good because that one wasn't much of a issue. You chose wisely.
0: So, so another, another thing that we were really, really battling on this and it was, you know, it was kind of like self-inflicted problems was that we would be in our nice, cool, um, air conditioned hotel room. Not like ours is right now. And then we would go out into that massive amount of heat and humidity. And as soon as we opened our camera bags, we, our camera was just like dripping with condensation. Mm-hmm. And to battle, like to, to get around to that, there's a couple things we could have done. And we, I did a couple times in a wart where I would take my camera bag and I'd put it outside on the porch and maybe not overnight, but at least for several hours before we went out and shot. That way, my camera was already, like, acclimated to the weather or to the to the heat and the humidity. Um, but condensation was an issue. Like, the first half hour of all of our shoots were our cameras are fogged up. And we're just waiting for that.
2: So one thing I did for that is on our way to the shoot, I took my caps off so mm-hmm. that way it would start to kind of adapt to the weather a little yeah. bit yeah. knowing that, that we had 20 minutes before shooting or
0: if you just like unzip your bag but leave it and kind of crack it but leave your camera in there the the condensation will build on the inside of your bag rather than your camera in theory
3: i will say having heard these tips like on other podcast books whatever videos mm-hmm. many times before i always think like oh yeah you know whatever a little thing big deal just grab a lens wipe and wipe your lens off and it's no big deal no it's not i mean we're talking about i had i don't know four or five shoots this week that i had a good 25 solid minutes of my gear just being it just yep. i just couldn't shoot yet And so it really is important to do it. I I wish I would have recognized it earlier and just taken some obvious steps to fix it.
0: Also, we had tons and tons of rain on this trip. There was one of our best shoots. We had to actually hike through like a downpour to get to it. Like the stairs that we climbed up were a waterfall. And it's not normally like that, but there was just tons and tons of water. And there's a couple things. Like if you don't have the proper rain gear, your camera starts malfunctioning like mine did Uh, mine. The exposure lock got stuck Uh to where I couldn't like change my settings. Luckily I I could just like bracket it. Like I was doing like a huge bracket to where somewhere in there was the right settings, but I couldn't change my shutter speed or aperture for a while because I got my camera so wet and and then also all your lens cloths get saturated and they no longer work
1: useful anymore
0: and i I left my lens hoods at home thinking i'll save a little bit of space and i I really missed them because your lens hood actually helps keep a little bit of that rain and mist off your front element so um, pack lots and lots of lens cloths more than you think you need if you're going into a wet place like this
3: yeah i will say pec pads are fantastic for cleaning the sensor cleaning you know dust off the lens they are not fantastic for getting moisture off the lens mm. they're not absorbent at all so for me i kind of needed the the combination because i would use those the the microfiber or, lint for, or the whatever those cloths anyway to get the moisture off but then you kind of had to follow it up with a pec pad to get the dust off after right. that
0: what was it, what do you guys think was your biggest fail of the week. Oh, mine's
3: easy. (laughs) We're we're on the Lee River, shooting the Cormorant Fisherman, lights getting good, (laughs) and my battery runs out. I pop out the battery, I'm running over to my camera bag, and I kind of ripped out my battery kind of quick, and it just, my camera started teetering on the tripod, and then... Splash! Uh, so it splashed. I like complete you
0: know, complete submersion.
3: Complete immersion. It's it's under, but it was quick. I mean, I, I grabbed it pretty quick. Um, I felt just as stupid as if I'd left it there for five minutes. But uh, but yeah, it was completely immersed. And so I ripped the battery out and I thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, not use it for three or four days, you know, so it has time to dry out because it didn't like you didn't see like the LCD freak out or anything. So I thought maybe I made it. And so the next morning, knowing that I should wait four days, I was like, "Mm, but I want to use the camera today. So I popped in a new battery to check it, and it was fine. Totally good. So that's the Fuji X-Pro 2. The weather sealing gets an A+. Uh, It did a good job. The 16-55 to did get a little water in it. It took a day or two uh, to clear out, and then it was fine. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so made lucky it. with that. I one. did get lucky. That was almost another two thousand dollar mistake. I'm such a <laughs> dork with that.
2: Everyone was lined up. We were shooting the Cormorant Fisherman right when it happened. And everyone like was like <gasps> and it was just silence, silence for a second. And nobody was clicking pictures and then we're like okay, take pictures of <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were waiting to see Jim's reaction. Yep. Very pr- very professional. And then we yeah. all
0: we all kind of decide, eh, that's Jim's problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. get my shot. Sucks that's to be so him. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. For me, for me it, it was kind of a good and bad thing. The good is, I just, I have love groups like this where you get to meet new people, yeah. mm-hmm. especially from all over the world. And you can ask them, well, what is it really like in your country? Or how do you people really feel about americans you know and um so my mistake was i was enjoying that too much at one time and totally the rest of the shoot my aperture that i thought i had it on f16 where i wanted it at one time for some reason i bumped it up to f22 and then we just were having so much fun talking i just lost track and i totally forgot to reset it and so the rest of that night was all f22 and Which is okay, because I enjoyed the conversation, and, and we were laughing and having a good time and making fun of people, so... Someday, that someday was my... fly
3: back and get some at F8.
2: I will. I
3: will. I'm learning some of the little things that you should and shouldn't say to people from other camp- countries, like... A lot of people had little uh, fanny packs to use for their, for their camera gear. And every time somebody would say fanny pack, the Brits would say <gasps> he's a, he's a <laughs> yeah. And we learned that they call them bum bags, which is a little bum bag. Bum bags. Uh, that's kind that um, <laughs> yeah. of a little kiddish.
0: One of my biggest regrets was there was, when we went to photograph the corn cormorant, uh, cormorant fishermen in their homes, I wanted to, I was like, oh, you know, I've got a lot of portraits already. I'll just leave the camera back. And then I saw some, as soon as I started seeing some of the images people were getting, I was like, oh, why did I do that? Because it was so epic. It's so Mm. cool. And I think a lot of people got their favorite images there. And I have none of those. Yeah. But my favorite moment was I totally got to ru- like stand on a Cormorant Fisherman's boat and like wear his hat, and he was wearing my hat, and I was like holding the oar. And the I am
1: so mad I missed that. Please tell me somebody took a photo. Oh, yes. oh yeah, there's yeah, yeah. photos. It okay. was heavily documented. <laughs>
0: but that was probably the highlight of my trip. Though. Yeah,
1: mine is probably very similar to both Brian and Nick's. I. Felt like I did not really get in there very often and shoot a lot because I was more concerned with making sure that the attendees had, like, good places to stand and were, you know, understanding the light or doing, you know, whatever. Um, So I didn't shoot very much. I did not even fill up a 32-gig card. So I feel like I don't Mm -hmm. have a ton of shots and especially not a ton of good shots, which is okay. It's a good and bad thing, Brian. Like you said, like, I'm glad that I was able to help and Mm -hmm. make sure that everybody else was okay. But I think I will regret not having Oh, more. yes. Uh,
0: yeah. And, and the, the, I think the thing that makes you feel both good and bad is that everybody, like, there was so many excellent photos that came yes. from the group. Holy cow. So bad. I mean, so good. Pretty much every photo that was put up during the photo review, I was like, I'll put that in my portfolio. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: And it was nuts. So we did a portfolio review for everybody before we came. And so we saw the level that everybody was out. And then we did a, a you know, photo review on the trip. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talent in the group for sure. But the quality of the portfolio reviews before they came, um, it wasn't to the professional level. And then we did this photo review. And everybody's a movie. pro now. Every single <laughs> photo was pro quality. Like,
2: it was like so
1: National Geographic awesome. magazines. It awesome. was so yeah, wonderful. It was so good. As they,
2: as they would say in China, Ding Lao La. <laughs> Which means nailed. nailed it. Nailed it. Boom.
3: <laughs> So the cormorant fishermen, for those of you who don't know it, they're um, the traditional fishermen um, in China and the way that they, they make these bamboo rafts and they would go out on the river and have two cormorants birds uh, that would fly out and dive under the water and catch the fish in their mouths and then bring it back uh, to, to the fishermen who'd put it in a basket. Um, and with the pollution and such in China, it's, the yields aren't there. They can't do it professionally anymore. Um, and they're, uh, but, but it's still a major part of their culture. And there are uh, this family uh, in this area of China in Guilin... Uh, that are the they're still living the actual traditional cormorant fishermen. There are a yeah. lot of people that that pretend and they're they're only models, but these are people who really are yep. the traditional cormorant fishermen who now uh, do the modeling and you know people come to photograph them. But mm-hmm. but there are you know a handful really all that's left of these these cormorant fishermen, and so and and many of them are are in their 80s. They're really old. Yeah. And so uh, one of my f- no, by far my favorite picture of the trip from anybody that I saw. And I can't even remember who it was. It was one of the attendees who... Uh, we went to photograph the cormorant fishermen in their home. And uh, this 82, 84-year-old cormorant fisherman wasn't feeling well. He was feeling yeah. sick. And so he lied down. Uh, and I can't remember who it was. Took a picture of her, of him laying sure. down uh, just feeling sick. And it, like it almost brought a tear to my eye. It was so cool. It just like... Like, you could really see the end of a whole era and a yeah. culture yeah. was, it's going to be gone in a few years. And it was so cool. Who was that? I think, uh. it, was,
2: I think it was Jody. It might have been. Yeah. Shout out to it was, Jody.
0: It was, it was somebody really in our group. It was yeah. awesome. And, like, you know, that's kind of the, the argument for photographing this stuff is because it is a culture. It's a thing that is disappearing and... You know, as photographers, we're a lot of us are here to kind of document the world. You're, either we're documenting beautiful landscapes or a family in their current, you know, age, and d- being able to document a period of time where you know, you have this people that is slowly disappearing and there's like seven of them left and it, it's only going to be a matter of years before they're all gone.
3: Especially mm-hmm. for how much they smoke. Yeah. They smoke a the <laughs> yes, lot. Yes. exactly. Chain smokers. They do.
0: Sure. But, you know, it's, it's very cool to know that you may have one of the last remaining photos like you know there's they're only going to be around for so long so the photos that we're taking actually mean something and that makes it feel good
3: I think it is and that's how I feel about it too is Mm -hmm. so cool one I have heard a lot of times criticism on the internet of photographers uh, and the story that I always hear is you know oh photographers just mobbed these cormorant fishermen and so now they aren't uh, they aren't even fishing anymore. They're just models. It's such a piece of the reason they aren't fishing anymore because they don't have the yields that they mm-hmm. used to. Uh, it was serendipitous <clears throat> that at that time that photographers started photographing them. If photographers weren't here photographing them, do what they've done their entire lives, they would be in the factories in, yep. in the maiden cities making iPhones. I mean, it's, it's really a neat thing.
0: Yeah, now they get to model rather than work in some... And they're so
3: proud of what they <laughs> exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. So proud of it. I So I got uh, some of my photos published in Shutterbug magazine, yeah. and I uh, got some of the pictures of these cormorant fishermen in the magazine. And so I brought a copy of the magazine uh, for them, and, and I got a picture of one of the cormorant fishermen holding their picture in the magazine. And like he just had this cool big old grin on his face. <laughs> mm-hmm. like It's cool what photography has done for these people. It's... Is has not destroyed the art of what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah.
2: they're becoming so good at it that they're correcting us at times. They're <laughs> yeah. saying, no, 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 you want me to pose like this oh, hey, yeah. or, or the lighting's better over here. Like they know what we want. You know, they know to grab that lamp at night and bring it close to their face so that we can get that. You see that glow right.
0: that my favorite thing was I was like showing the back of my camera to one of the guys or, and it wasn't one of the cormorants. It was actually one of the villagers, and he he was experienced enough that when I showed it to him, he was like, "Oh, I like that light. That's good light." <laughs> and and uh, that had to go through a tr- interpreter and stuff. But still, like he he's very picky about the, his light, and he yeah. really liked the light because it it was very uh, it was very moody, and he loved it. <laughs> it was just so interesting. <laughs> So what is your guys' like number one thing that you... Like number one takeaway, what did you learn? What was hammered home to you guys on this trip? For me, Nick needs to get in shape because this was ridiculous. Those rice terraces <laughs> are are evil. That was... Uh, and plus, you guys didn't take breaks because it, <laughs> it seemed like everywhere we went,
1: you had to run. I mean, you had to get there first. There right. Was no time for breaks. And that's the
0: thing: is everywhere we went, it always felt like we had to get ahead of the Chinese photographers because it was a holiday week in, right.
3: in China, and so and this is a kind of a touristy area for China, for the Chinese, and so. Uh, yeah, we had to fight to get in jockey into position. And so
0: normally like if I'm climbing a mountain, I'll at least take a break, okay? Mm-hmm. And I didn't get my breaks climbing the mountains and it was just like nonstop. and I got to the top and I'm just like a mess. So maybe Nick needs to lose a little bit weight of weight and maybe you guys need to learn how to take breaks. That's
1: what I'm <laughs> um, yeah. I think um, mine is more about the planning aspect when coming to China. So China is, although they're somewhat open economically now they're still very closed off um to the western world so it's really hard for people especially from america to make plans for visiting Uh, china so for example we had to contact a chinese like tourist company to book our train tickets and to to book our lodging outside of the 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 tour group Um, we arranged an Airbnb in Beijing and apparently Airbnb is illegal here. So we had to cancel our Airbnb reservations and make hotel reservations. So for me, you know, the planning process outside of the, the trip with improved photography was really difficult. So if you're planning a trip to China, you need to make sure that you are getting in touch with Chinese travel agencies and tour companies to help you with that, because it's a really difficult process for you to do by yourself. And some things you just can't do by yourself at all from the United States.
2: For me, I think one of the most important things, again, is just the packing, how you pack, what you decide to bring. Uh, I brought wick clothing and only like three pairs of shirts so I could wear one, wash one at night and then have them for the next day if I needed and it was dry the next day. Uh, So just packing and also the bags that you have, Uh, it's neat to see that uh, apparently the listeners actually do take into consideration (laughs) what we recommend. (laughs) I did a bag review and over half the people here had a Mindshift bag. Of, of sorts, and uh, and they all seemed to enjoy it. Maybe they didn't like the color, but they figured that out. <laughs> but they traded with each other, so that was kind of neat. Yeah, we had a really? four-way
3: bag yeah. trade. that oh. They were like, "Well, I like that color, and you like this bag, and you like this," and so they all just swapped bags. Oh,
1: <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I, I, boy, I I learned a lot of things, but probably the one that that uh, was most helpful to me is that I have always kind of considered myself a landscape photographer. And I think I'm becoming more of just like, not even a, a portrait photographer, but just the the travel uh, kind travel. of thing. I think the travel photography is probably what I would uh, say is most interesting to me right now. Like the, the photos of the of the you know the cormorant fishermen when they were in their home. It's not really street photography how we usually think about street photography because it's not candid. Um, it's not like a senior portrait shoot or anything like (laughs) it, but it is, it's just very, um, and, and I can't even call it documentary photography because it's not documentary. I'm going to Photoshop the crap out of that thing, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's just, just photographing what represents that culture. Mm. And, uh, and that really has me excited. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I, in planning what i'm going to do in the future that's a major piece of it and before i really was just thinking about the landscapes yeah my favorite photos by far were the portraits rather than landscapes Same. big time Same. even though there were amazing landscape opportunities man some of those portrait shoots were so cool this yeah. morning um, we uh, nick and i i guess were in a in a house of just just someone that lives in the longji rice yeah. terraces uh, and this is another minority culture. It's not at all like you know modern China in the cities, yeah. um, but it's just like her house. There was no nothing uh, planned or scripted or uh, or posed. It, like we just walked in the room and she was like doing the dishes and she was chopping up food uh, to to feed to the pigs and they were lighting a fire and burning stuff in the kettle. And it was just like photo city, like exactly. shutters just ripping everywhere. It was funny because it was like, do these people, if they came to the U.S., would they like photograph me watching Netflix? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. But it was just... It was so cool, the light in there. Mm -hmm. There were no lights, no interior lights at all. Everything was just, like... It wasn't a dirt floor, but it was almost a dirt floor. It was just It might have been worse than a dirt floor. It was pretty grimy. Grimy. Very grimy. And and then there was this beautiful, cute little three-year-old girl in a princess tutu uh, in the family. Like, it was just their family. It was just them being how they are. Um, And the lighting in there was gorgeous and... Uh, you've got to go see the photos because mm-hmm. it sounds like the worst photo op ever. Somebody doing the dishes, but it was it was amazing. Right. My favorite photo from the shoot.
0: And I think what what really makes sessions like that feel so cool, like and entertaining, is it, it's like you get to be a National Geographic photographer for a day. That's what, how I felt. Is like I'm sitting here just experiencing how their life is and getting to take pictures of it and it's so completely different than the world that i live in that it's just amazingly interesting and i like to take things that uh, photos of things that are different and that tell a story and that place was just loaded with both of those things it was so much fun
2: but again you can't just show up and do that nope. you know yeah. this really this trip couldn't have happened in my opinion had we not had the giving Photo tours, yeah. right? Coelenphotographytours.com. Yeah. Andy yeah. and Mia, they're just, they just—they were awesome. Amazing.
0: Yeah. They set up so many um, sessions like that where we just got to walk into houses, and if it was somebody that we wasn't even on the on the part of the tour they would just talk to him and he would be like hey can we you know take a few pictures of you and some would say no and some would be like yeah come on into my house check out the back it's really cool mm-hmm. and look at my bird it talks and it, there's, there's so many interesting things that would have never ever happened without somebody taking us like
2: that well, and they're photographers so they have the photography eye they yeah. know what good mm-hmm. lighting mm-hmm. is they know certain angles and they've mm-hmm. been to those places they go a couple times a month to each of those places said so that that just helped make that experience of being a national geographic photographer
0: right and there's so many cultural things that we would have just messed up real bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like little things like you know if a kid comes up and they're talking to you you never ever pat them on the head because that's like defiling them in some kind of way it's like Mm -hmm. it's a very bad thing so you're not supposed and you know in our culture that's totally normal and we probably would have done that or like you are definitely not ever to show a black and white photo to a, a Chinese person because black and white photos are re- are reserved only for dead people. So by showing them the the back of your camera and it's in black and white, is the it's like them looking at themselves dead. Yeah. And it's like a really, it creeps them out big time and they think that they're going to die for looking at that. So things like that we would have had no idea of, but luckily
3: we had them to kind of... Yeah, guide us through that stuff mm-hmm. there was a lot of cool stuff but one that was one that i'll never forget is last night on the longji rice terraces yeah, um, yeah. these are it's an incredible thing you've probably seen photos of it before um, it's these uh, stairs that are cut into mountains as far as you can see i mean just hills and hills and hills of these yeah. mountains uh with just these stair steps of rice planted in them uh, and it's all irrigated and so there's just water flooding them and so you get these awesome mirror reflections of the sky and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got photos of people working out in in the field, which was awesome, you know, working in the farms. And then our trip coincided with a festival there. And so they put out candles like Billions, thousands, of thousands, and thousands, of thousands of you thousands—you can't even imagine how many candles. You know, they had teams of people going all over the mountains putting them up. They lit them just before night, uh, before nighttime, and then fireworks start shooting off. It was. Crazy, like if we were, if you are there shooting it, and you're like, hey, like what could be the craziest thing that would happen right now? It'd yeah. Be like, what if there was a candle, like ten million candles on this landscape, and yeah. they started shooting up fireworks, and it happened. Like and it was, it was so, so awesome. cool. And that's what's so, so awesome.
0: amazing is you're on standing on top of this mountain. And the entire mountain is reflective because it's like a giant mirror because of all the water in the terraces. And then when the, the fireworks go off, they reflect on the mountain. And mm-hmm. it's just like the craziest, craziest scene I've ever seen. Mm-hmm.
3: A great. few photography tips from that. I want to hear what you guys, what worked for you guys mm-hmm. too. Because that shooting the fireworks already is kind of technique and intensive. you got to mm-hmm. really do some different things to get them looking right. Um, a couple things that or the the biggest thing for me is because it was such a psycho crazy scene what was happening (laughs) uh, I tried to do everything I could to make it clear what the viewer was looking at because it's going to be dark you're just seeing a million little lights on the foreground and then fireworks and so I tried to really expose it so you could see a little bit of the rice in the foreground and things so you knew what it was that you were seeing and then the second thing is when you're photographing fireworks, the shutter speed doesn't at all impact the brightness of the actual pop of the fireworks. Because the pop of the fireworks lasts what two and a half seconds, and you're probably using a longer shutter speed, ten seconds. Mm-hmm. So even if you know you switch from ten to twenty seconds, it doesn't make the fire the bursts of the fireworks any brighter. They're still only there for two seconds. It's the ISO that affects the brightness of the of the fireworks and so when the fireworks are overexposed you know you got to drop the ISO or when you want them brighter to stand out you know it's got to be the ISO mm-hmm. the other other players in the exposure triangle aren't going to do anything All right mm-hmm. so
0: a lot of people were using longer shutter speeds what the method that I was using I was actually using bulb mode and so when the firework would get really close to going off I would start my exposure and then I would let it go to its peak of the the shape it was making and then i'd let go and some of some of my shots ended up with really bright fireworks and kind of dim ambient light Um, but earlier on it worked really well because i was getting slightly brighter ambient light and i and if i wanted more ambient light i would just start my exposure a little sooner so i had more ambient light to kind of blend with that
1: yeah and i think i did a little faster shutter speed than what jim was talking about i actually did like three seconds Mm-hmm. Um, because I found that when I was doing a little bit longer than three seconds and I've I've experienced this before with photographing fireworks. If I do longer than about three, three to five seconds, I start getting a lot of the smoke mm-hmm, from yeah. the fireworks, especially towards the end of the show when there's yeah. a lot of smoke in the air. So I found that like about three seconds is really perfect mm-hmm. for me to get the firework and get the motion in the firework as it's like falling without getting a lot of the smoke. In the background as
0: well. And another interesting thing that somebody was doing was that Andy was actually shooting it handheld. And I was like, "How can you wow. shoot fireworks handheld?" And he's like, "Well, as long as you time it right." And he's shown me his photos. They look great because he was getting pretty much the moment just after it explodes, and then it kind of spreads. And it was he was using like one twenty-fifth of a second, something mm. like that, <laughs> kind of bracing it against something, and they were they looked great. And you, you end up with. Um, a little bit higher ISO, obviously, just to, so you have some kind of foreground, but it actually worked. It worked a lot better than I've ever mm. would have thought of.
1: Did it get the motion and the movement of the fireworks? Yeah, in it? it
0: still got... It, it didn't get nearly as much, but it, it got more of an explosive look yeah, rather like than smooth spirals. because mm, it's longer. Yeah.
2: Now that I hear that, it makes me wish I would have actually played, got a of creative, maybe zoomed the lens in and out a little bit as it mm. was in the air just to see what mm-hmm. effect yeah. that would have done. Yeah. Um, for me... I looked over and found about five photos I liked the most, and those five were all at about six seconds for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed that, but I think it was it's important to see kind of where their fireworks are kind of exploding mm-hmm. in the air, and you may have to recompose a little bit. So just paying attention to that and getting a variety of some horizontal, and some vertical ones really quickly Absolutely. helps when, especially when you have an L bracket, which this yeah, is my first trip using my L bracket because mm-hmm. I usually have a dual battery pack because I have bigger uh. hands and. So having that on was nice, but I had to make sure I had my extra battery in my pocket or for you since your battery kept dying (laughs) a lot too. I think that
1: that tip about recomposing is really important because I was talking to one of the attendees this morning and she was like, the firework just kept going off in the same exact spot, which was true. They would shoot like one firework and it was definitely coming from the same spot and would explode in the same spot every time. So um, I told her that I just kind of move my camera around and, be, you know, I take a couple of shots and then move it a little bit and take a couple of shots so that it was in different spots of the sky mm-hmm. so that I can go back and composite it in different areas of the yeah. sky without them all too, yeah. being in the same exact spot.
0: Yeah. That's the problem is like when I shoot fireworks, I end up shooting the same composition over and over. And yes. then you end up with like two photos that you like. And that's about it. That's right? what
3: yeah. I was going to say is e- even though we as instructors talked about this several times, to the attendees Uh, at the end when i asked uh, in in the bus that i was in what the lesson learned they had was the most popular one was that they you know you get excited and you look at your camera and you're like i'm getting something good and the light's getting better and so you stay Mm -hmm. Um, and we we would keep reminding people like you know keep moving around don't just Mm -hmm. keep shooting the same thing but you're excited and you're like i'm getting something good i'm just gonna wait it out and then you look at somebody else's camera after the shoot's already over and you're like, oh, shoot. If I would have scooted four feet to the right, there was yeah. a better photo. And yeah. so it really is worth just constantly moving. Don't just keep shooting the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, hoping the light's going to get better. Move. You can always come back, but move around a lot and then find your home base.
2: Yeah. And switch lenses. You know, Instead yeah. of shooting wide, shooting tight.
0: Yeah. yeah, one of the shots that I wish I would have got because we were kind of playing around and zooming in on our photos is the way that those fireworks reflected off of all of those terraces to yeah. zoom in just, just on the so terraces the terrace. and, mm. yeah, that and been great. get just the reflections but no, no, I just decided to shoot the same <laughs> composition oh, about a no. hundred times Boring
2: Nick taking boring pictures yes. <laughs> He'll do, he'll do, a, he'll do a, like a water replacement or yeah. something for that
0: Yeah, exactly, I'll, I'll put out a water replacement tutorial here soon <laughs>
3: Well, that was, we covered a ton of stuff. I'm sure we could go along for another three episodes. Uh, but we always leave you with a doodad of the week. What would you guys find?
0: <clears throat> so my doodad this week is Sherpas. So <laughs> for those of you that do not know what a Sherpa is, it's basically a person that carries your stuff to the top of the mountain for you. And down. And mm-hmm. down. And... Uh, so I did that, not knowing that it was going to be tiny little Chinese <laughs> women that
1: shorter than me. Right, literally,
0: uh-huh. like you know, Erica four,
3: felt like a giant. I next did. Example. It was so wonderful.
1: Th-
0: we're talking like you know, sixty-five-year-old four-foot-eight Chinese women carrying my my camera bag and my carry-on bag to the top of a mountain.
2: Faster than you. <laughs>
0: right, and they beat me, and. Yeah, it's it's very mixed feelings. It feels great to just walk up with nothing in your hands, but at the same time you feel so guilty that this poor little old woman is packing all my stuff and my backpack is bigger than her. But at the same time, I'll do it all. I'll totally do it again.
3: It definitely hurts the chivalry inside you. But at the same time, like they were desperate. Like they were like fighting each other over who gets it. They need the work. Right. So. You need to do it, but it does feel bad. Yeah, I know <laughs> it feels
0: a little bit like slave labor, oh. but at the same time, they they really really wanted to do it, so yeah. so I was happy to oblige. It's a
3: way for them to earn their work, <laughs> and they can do it. And... Yeah.
0: The one thing I wouldn't do though is they had they had what do they call it sedan chairs where you sit oh, yeah. in the chair and then they two people pack you to the top, and people were like wanting to pay my way to have them pack me to the top, but I couldn't <laughs> do it, and I was like. I can't do Gotta that. Gotta draw
2: the line somewhere.
0: Exactly, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would not be Nick's proudest moment of his life.
2: So my doodad for me, uh, as a teacher, I have, uh, I often in my community, we have a lot of different cultures that come in and I have a, had a student this past year who only speaks Chinese and doesn't understand English at all. So my doodad is Google Translate. I was able to uh, have that on my phone. I used it to communicate to him back and forth But it's amazing because what you do is when you click, when you open it up and you're just on like camera mode, you can hold it over Chinese words, the characters, and it will translate it. And it's not perfect. Like with the camera. Yeah, yeah. You see it and it happens live while you're there. Like you don't have to be connected to Wi-Fi or anything. And you see it, just translate it. Like it was helpful for our remotes for the air conditioning. Yes. At exactly. one time, there was a big, um, like a stone mural type thing explaining about the hike we were about to go on, and holding it over, and you get, you know, it's broken English, and some of the words are totally wrong. But it's just, it's just mind blowing to see it translate there, and they have it for every language, so yeah. you can take That's it, so just cool. hold it over, and it will translate it. And it so doesn't you need data. No. Oh, that's cool yeah, yeah oh,
0: that's because you, cool. you download the language and then it's all on your phone and then you can just use it not even connect to the internet
3: someday they're going to be able to just download it into our brains there's just going to be a little <laughs> chip in there exactly and it's going to be awesome a little USB <laughs> slot yeah also yeah. help to get the hydrokinesis thing <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> well I'm going to cheat and give you like four different doodads uh, but and these are things that I've all talked about before but uh, just the the things that were the bit made the biggest difference I mean we're always was talking about these cool little niche accessories that we find, but the big ones that made the biggest difference for me were uh, the Mindshift bag that we talked about, the Mindshift Gear Rotation One Eighty. I have the Horizon. Uh, I really am loving that bag. And usually after two or three trips, I'm like, eh, "I hate this bag. Time for a new one." But this one, I'm just loving it more and more over time. Um, my Faisal tripod uh, is so lightweight. Uh, having having that the weight of the tripod. And the laptop are the two things that really weigh a bag down. Uh, And so I was glad to have that. And then my laptop, the MacBook Air uh, 13-inch is what I have. Um, And I was talking with Karen on the trip about that. Um, If you're buying a Mac, the the MacBook Pro is the more powerful one for sure. I used to have the Pro, and it's just heavier. And when you're... I mean, a laptop adds a lot of weight to a bag. And so I switched to the Air, and I was a little bit worried... But uh, I can say that if you're using uh, Photoshop and Lightroom, you won't notice any lag at all. I mean, it's, it's just as fast, almost just as fast as my desktop for just, you know, moving sliders around using Lightroom normally. I'm sure if you were to compare export time and things like that, it'd be way slower. But, like, you can use them just fine. Uh, so the MacBook Air is one that I have really liked. And the battery life is crazy good. Like, you know, I think it advertises 13 hours, but wow. but really nice. So. That's what I liked, but not video. If you're use if you're doing editing video, bad choice.
1: So mine, I think, is something that Nick could benefit from. As I sit here in the <laughs> hotel room, staring at his gigantic suitcase over there in the corner. Yes. Oh, I thought you were going to
3: say a razor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. Um, so mine is um, they're packing cubes, and they I just order them on Amazon. If you just type packing cubes in Amazon. They'll come up with a bunch of different brands and they are just a a package of different sized little cubes that zip up and it helps you to be able to pack light. So by using these packing cubes, I can pack for like three to four week trips all in one carry on. So I use one for my clothes and I just roll my clothes up and put, put it in the larger of the cubes. And then I use one for my like toiletries, which is kind of, it's maybe like eight inches by six inches. And then sometimes I'll use the other size ones for camera gear or chargers and that kind of stuff. And it fits perfectly in your luggage and keeps everything organized and keeps everything condensed. So instead of just putting everything in your suitcase, you know, as it is and worrying about it getting mixed up and, um, taking up more space by smashing them into these cubes, Mm -hmm. you save a lot of room and are able to stuff a lot of crap in a suitcase.
0: That's nice. So you could like separate your clean clothes from your dirty clothes. Yeah. My, my, if you open that giant bag over there, it looks like a bomb went off (laughs) at the end of a trip. (laughs) It's just like, okay. Pack of cubes it is.
1: (laughs) And they're cheap too. They're only like, I don't know, 25 or $30 on Amazon.
3: Very cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the prod- podcast. We appreciate your download. Uh, you can go to improvephotography.com slash workshops, uh, and that will show you where we have upcoming workshops for improved Photography. Many of them, many of them are free, meaning we don't earn any profit from doing them. Uh, it's just a way to uh, to get out and shoot with you these guys, uh, with you guys, and also uh, you guys are offering uh, workshops. Yep um uh, brian is doing workshops in his uh in his hometown in indianapolis kind of uh, kind of get started with your camera kind of workshops and we'll be offering more and nick just did his palouse tour and, I, and erica has lots of stuff going on with your uh studio and things going on there so mm-hmm. if you go to improvephotographycom workshops that's a place that you can find all that kind of information right there that improve photography is doing as well as as uh, nick and erica and brian and the other hosts of the podcast Thanks everybody for the download and we will see you in another week.